Thank you for tuning in. There's so much to unpack on the topic of gender equity, and we're so glad to have Maya Sharfi, owner of Build Yourself Workshop, to help us do so. Maya is specifically skilled and trained and has a deep understanding of both gender equity and our industry. And in this episode, Maya shares her direct knowledge, as well as a number of practical steps we can begin to employ today, both individually and organizationally, to help us improve overall equity and our success. And we get into it right away, as Maya shares with us what high achieving, high capacity, and high potential women are telling her, and not others, that we need to know. So without any further delay, let's do it. Welcome to AEC Leadership Today, the podcast designed exclusively for engineering, architecture, and construction industry leaders who want to stay relevant and effective. The show takes on the most pressing issues facing the AEC industry and was created to help you and your firm grow and prosper in the 21st century. The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now, take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with Maya Sharfi, owner of Build Yourself Workshop, and we'll be talking about gender equity, bias, and career advancement for women. Welcome to the podcast, Maya. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. Great. Well, um, so listeners know we met through a mutual friend, Kristen Gallagher, who was also a previous guest on the podcast. Great episode on onboarding. And since then, we've spoken several times on a variety of subjects and excited that you're here with us today to break down this very big and important topic. But before we do, can you share a little bit about you, your career, and the work that you're doing today? Sure, yeah. So um, I'll start with saying that I have a dual training. So I actually have a master's in landscape architecture from Harvard Design School, but I also was trained as a women's empowerment facilitator and about, oh gosh, it was in 2013, I put those two together and started teaching career workshops for women in AEC. And today, Build Yourself is both a coaching and a training company. I train women in how to get clear on where they want to go in their careers and how to navigate bias and getting there. And then I also work with leadership. I teach a bias training on gender um, using a design thinking perspective to leadership at AEC firms. And I also run uh, corporate coaching programs for women in AEC firms and helping them advance their careers and navigate, navigate sexism. Well, well, excellent. Well, I mean, this is, there's, there's a lot to unpack in this, in the episode in, in the in specific topics. Can we start maybe in reality? So what are women saying to you that they don't or haven't said to their boss or others in their organization as it relates to their career advancement? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love this. I love what I do because I would say 80% work with women and maybe, you know, somewhere around 10 to 20% work with leadership. And so I get to hear all the things that, that women say that they're not going to tell their bosses. And, you know, all bosses know that you're never hearing 100% of the story. So, you know, what, from people of all genders, but the kinds of things that I hear are, I don't feel like there's a growth path for me. There's no one here 
who is the model of what I, what I, like, I can't see how I can grow here. Um, why are other people getting these opportunities? Nobody ever looks at me. Um, not, and it's not, um, it's not like me, 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 entitled, entitled, entitled. It's more, how come they're getting those opportunities and, you know, everybody goes out to, you know, the guys go out to lunch together and I'm not invited and I don't know how to be invited, but it seems like that's how you become someone shining star. Um, I also hear from them when they're about to leave a firm. So uh, right after the 2008 recession kind of cooled down, I got all kinds of emails from clients saying, hey, you know, I think I need to leave my firm. I'm looking for a place that's more family friendly. What do you know, right? And it was like I was the underground railroad for, you know, involved parents in the AEC industry. So um, yeah, I hear a lot about, you know, challenge people wanting to grow in their practices, but feeling like they're not able to find the path or they can't find mentors. And, you know, I think people of all genders can face this kind of frustration or difficulty, but, part of what I know is going on in part because of the gender training that I have is that, you know, there's actually a, um, a 2011 catalyst study that looked at promotion decisions for men and women and looked at that, how um, men were more likely to be promoted based on their, the future potential, right? Uh, the basis for the promotion was, here's what we can see him doing in the future. Whereas women in the study were more likely to be promoted on the basis of their past accomplishments. So, um, I hear what happens when high achieving women end up facing those blockages and don't feel like they can advance. So, okay, there's, there's a ton to unpack there, but as a baseline, how, how would you describe the women you work with? Yeah, so um, a lot of the women I work with are probably, they're, they're eight years plus, somewhere between eight and maybe you know, 15, 17 years. They're at the point usually where if there's a licensure process, they've you know finally did the you know 754th test and they've gotten their hours in and they're you know they've kind of gotten through the pay your dues phase, and now they're trying to figure out what's next for them and they're struggling because there's no one clear next step and you know they've been kind of climbing trying you know take the tests and get these hours in and run a project of this size. And they really have to say, okay, what do I want out of my career? And um, I would say that that's when a lot of them face particular aspects, unique aspects of, of internalized gender bias and externalized. So, you know, they may not be, um, they're not necessarily raising their hands in the same way maybe men are for the opportunities they want because they're not socialized to do that in quite the same way. They are maybe not getting chosen for the stretch opportunities, and so they're seeing other people get them. Um, they're not necessarily being mentored in the same way that men are on business operations. And so they're kind of in this stage where they were really, really good when, you know, there was a there was a clear, here's what you need to do in order to move forward. And then they kind of hit this, this moment where there's no clear next step. There's no one authority or teacher figure saying, here's exactly what you should do. And that's when some of the ways that we train women and actually girls starts to fail them and be inadequate to help them get to that next level of impact, of expertise, of making a reputation for themselves. So, and it's that sort of beyond some of the technical skill sets and training. This gets into leadership and management opportunities and training and by 
by definition, it's a little bit grayer, but it's, it's not just grayer for the organizations and what you do. It, it's grayer for the people asking for it. How do you, I mean, but so there's these barriers that are up there. You just mentioned the series of them. I mean, do the women that you work with, they want to advance. It's just a matter of clearing a pathway for that within themselves and then within their organizations and the leaderships to be able to sort of connect those dots. But you just say like they're ambitious women. It's just, it's just now figuring out how we break through and, and get the connection with the leadership to give them the opportunity. Yeah. And I would say that what that moment, like I call it the mid-career moment and it shows up really differently for different people. And there isn't always a gender dynamic at play, but for women there often is. And so sometimes it shows up as, you know, I'm, I don't feel recognized, right? It shows up as I don't feel recognized. And part of that is that maybe there's not enough challenge or um, they feel like, you know, other people are getting these stretch opportunities and they're not. Sometimes it shows up as, I don't know what's next, right? It's this clarity issue. Sometimes it shows up as I'm overwhelmed and under-stimulated, but how can that be? Because I have way more to do than I, than I, you know, just like at a doctor, you know, there's this symptom, but then there's the root cause. And so, the thing about internal, the thing about gender bias, right, is that there, it, it's not just something that men do to women, it's something that men and women do to men and women. And so, you know, there's internalized gender bias for women. So sometimes they don't recognize what's going on and that there might be an aspect of it that's actually about gender bias. So they may come with a symptom you know, a restlessness about their current role, and then being able to translate that into what are what is the root cause? The root cause is that you don't have a vision, and maybe it's because you can't see the path, or the root cause is you are getting overwhelmed with all the minutiae because everybody's treating you like project mom instead of project manager, and they wouldn't be doing that to a man who was in that same role. So how do we figure out how to navigate that, right? A lot of what we do in the, in the beginning part of my one-on-one -on -one coaching work is you know, identify the symptoms and then translate the symptoms into the root cause. And then we work on them, whether they're gender bias issues or not. Right. So, I mean, as, as any of these, you know, sort of elements, I mean, there's, there's individual components and there's organizational components um, so that both parties thrive. I mean, so if we break down that individual, so what you just described, you know, what um, high achieving, high capacity, high potential women are up against or the frustrations, they're there. If they're individuals and they, they're running up against this, they're not getting support, um, how do they become their own ally and advocate in a way? Um, and then so, so I guess in that sense, how, how do, what's your work like with individuals? What do you yeah. break down to get them to a point where they know kind of what they're up against and have some skill sets and, and mindsets to deal with that. And then I want to get into some of the organizational things, but can you start on an individual yeah. level? Someone comes to you. I, I want this. I see this. Help me. Yeah. Yeah. It, so we go through three, three steps. So the first is that we work on mindset. And so I give, I give the women who work with me a week long assignment and they're, you know, figuring out what their inner critic is saying and figuring out what core patterns it speaks to. So it may be imposter syndrome, right? I'm not an expert. I hold my ideas back or I voice them really quietly. Or, um, you know, another one is, um, is uh, people pleasing, right? So I say yes to all these things and, and I don't set, put, put up boundaries. And part of what I do 
that's maybe different than someone who doesn't have this gender bias background is I can also see the ways in which gender plays into it. Because if you're just a people pleaser because you're a people pleaser, well then, you know, there's something wrong with you. But if you're a people pleaser, because we know that when women, there's actually, there's this, this concept that Sheryl Sandberg talks about in Lean In around, she calls it the gender discount theory. And it's based on, um, it's based on social science research. But um, what they found was that if you ask a man or a woman for a favor, right? Let's say the server is totally a mess and someone needs to clean it up. If the man says yes, you'll think, wow, what a great guy. If the woman says yes, you kind of feel neutral towards her because you expected her to do it. If a man says no, you feel neutral towards him because you know it's like he either had time or he didn't. And if a woman says no, you might attach a B, a five letter word that starts with B to her name because we actually expect different things for women, from women and for men because we expect women to play out, to carry out that role of caregiver, office caregiver, right? Um, to be nurturers of others. And so if you know that you're a people pleaser, not just because there's something fundamentally flawed with you, but because there is also this layer of, of gender conditioning, then it might not be that you just have to say no, it might be that you need to say no in ways that people are more able to hear from women, right? And it kind of takes some of the pressure off of you. So we identify those core patterns and then I give my clients what's called a power habit, which is a, um, it's kind of like a set it and forget it habit. So if you are a people pleaser, you might go on a no diet where you say no to something every day and you're testing out your boundaries around what it feels like you can't say no to. Sometimes you actually can say no to more than you thought. And it's, or another one that I love in AEC is make the call log, which was developed for a client who every time she get a question on site, she her first thought was, what does my boss want? What does the contractor want? What does the client want versus I'm an architect? Like, what do I think is right for the project, right? Should we be this out or should we not? And so the idea was to lower the stakes of each individual's decision and to get her logging the decision she thought she would make. And then she could still kind of bounce it against her boss. But instead of what should we do, it was taking responsibility for what she thought she should do and kind of developing her voice and expertise. So and in that very, sense, just as a comparison, from a gender perspective, do you think more often a, a, a male would say, well, I'm the project engineer, I'm the project manager, I'm the project architect, and so I'm getting this call. They assume their role right away and then start figuring out the information versus that role. I, I guess the differentiation yeah, yeah, like is what's, kind what, of worried what's about what's happening. What yeah. Oh, sorry. Did we do that? Well, no, I was going to say, I mean, so the, it, my response is, okay, I have a role to fulfill here. Tell me what your issue is and I'll help solve it versus tell me, you know, tell me what the situation is. How do I adapt to that? Or how do yeah. I respond to what you're saying versus, you know, you're coming to me as the, I, I'm the one making the decision. I'm, I'm in my position versus worrying a little about how, how whatever you're going to say is going to impact the other party. Yeah, so two things are going on for it, right? This is this is by and large, right? This is essentializing because you know not every man and every woman operates the same way, but you know based on some of the patterns, some of the ways that we raise girls and women versus raise boys. But two things are happening for that female project manager. Number one, she has been getting her um, she's been getting challenged on the construction site way more than her male colleagues for years, right? Like, um, I can't tell you, and I know that, by the way, getting challenged happens to everybody, but 
for women in particular, it happens more. It happens like, oh, okay, sure. And then I'm going to go ask your male boss above you. Or, um, you know, it even happens. I, I just um, did a bunch of coaching literally last week and heard the story or two weeks ago and heard the story over and over and over again. Um, you know, on my client, on my team, even in front of clients, my, uh, my male colleagues will say, well, did you research that? Or how do you know that? And so getting their knowledge questioned more often than a man would be. Um, so, you know, like that, like chips away at you year after year after year, right? Like, and then um, one of the other things that's going on is that, so it's, it, girls are, this is a study that I think Sheryl Sandberg talks about in Lean In, how in classrooms, uh, girls are actually, um, uh, reprimanded by teachers more when they break the rules in the classroom than boys, right? And it's partially because we expect boys to be boys, boys to do riskier, more impulsive things. And so girls are actually trained by authority figures to be more rule followers, to pay attention to what the, the leader says, right? In some ways, girls um, can do really, really well in school where the rules are clear. Whereas, um, you know, in the working world, sometimes you kind of need to like put out an idea before someone has signed off on it or, right? And so that kind of, um, like there's a learned behavior around not wanting to ruffle feathers, not wanting to disappoint someone, not wanting to get it wrong and then to like shrug it off and move on from it. And so, and like you even see that, I mean, I, maybe you've heard of the study that Cheryl Sandberg also talks about it in Lean In, but uh, in, a, in this one study, there was a given job description with five qualifications and men in the study were more likely to say, ooh, three out of five, I can rock this. Like I'll, I'd be like, they're ace candidate. And then women are more likely than men to say four to five, oh, I can't apply. And so, I mean, and like, you know, so power habits are about how to hack that, right? Like I had a client who I said, um, I want you to find, you know, 10 job descriptions and half of them you have to feel like you only meet four out of five qualifications and you have to apply to those and i you're doing it because your teacher aka the coach said you have to so we're replacing we're like hacking this authority figure thing through your coach but and you know what what like this the client um who i'm thinking of she ended up finding a job she was in jobs she was bored by for years until she finally ended up in a job that she didn't feel qualified for, but it was because her, her sense of qualifications were skewed, right? It, her, she was wrong, right? And so she had to just be like, I don't know, like, I guess I don't feel qualified. I guess I'll apply to this and see what happens, right? So. And is that yeah. all part of the, the getting into the mindset? Is that all part of that first step? Like just to be able to now not just talk about mindset, but kind of see it play out? Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I think that action scares us and it, it's about taking risks and I think action changes our mindsets. And so my power habits are usually about doing something, you know, speaking differently. Um, so yeah, so that that's the mindset um, part. And then what we do after that is the clarity part. And we use a, we use a process that's based on the design process where we look at you know, their expertise, their hard skills, their soft skills, their aspirations. And then we create multiple design options of, you know, I call it your North Star, but it's really, who do you want to be when you grow up? And then we help them choose the one that they want to aim for, because when they have this North Star, then they can work backwards and figure out, what do I say yes to? What do I say no to? You know, and sometimes it's a title, like I want to be a, um, 
I want to be an associate principal and then a principal. And so then you can say, okay, what do I need to do in order to become a, an associate principal? But sometimes it's about, you know, it's sometimes about the contribution you want to make or the impact or, you know, one of my clients um, just, uh, I got to keep this anonymous, but developed a, I'll make this up, but like developed you know, a North Star around coastal, being a leader in coastal resilience in a certain sector and, you know, could show up in multiple positions. But, you know, when you know what you're aiming for, then you can figure out how to get there. And then the last part is really just about action. And, you know, you have a strategy. And so how do you now start taking consistent actions, whether that's pitching a conference talk on coastal resilience, you know, once a month or, um, you know, every two weeks having um meeting up with someone in senior in senior leadership to get to know them because one day they're going to be the one who either votes you into ownership or doesn't right so um those that like repeated action i call them set it and forget it habits it's it's a big part you know aec there's always the next deadline and we're wrapped up in that and everything we get tunnel vision and so if you really want to be moving towards your future whether it's the future of your career or the future of your business you've kind of got to say, okay, what do I need to do in order to get there? And then how do I just rinse and repeat that until I get there? So. Right. And, and if you're good in our industry, you're always going to be busy. I mean, that's the reality. So how do you break through the, the urgent stuff to do the important stuff? And I, I guess that, you know, from a clarity perspective, you mentioned, you know, mid-career. I mean, well, somebody, even if it's the first third, I mean, it's eight to 15, 17 years experience, you said. So there's a lot of stuff going on. And if the technical stuff is understood, but do on a technical track or a different tracks there. So there's a lot going on. So I, I see the benefit of the clarity, but at that point, there's so much to unpack, not just in what I've accomplished, but what I want moving forward. Um, and then the action, certainly someone holding someone in both accountable and encouraging at the same time. If, yeah. if I'm a leader of a firm um, or a division or a department or even a team, and, and I don't want someone to have to go on their own to get, you know, all this clarity and, and action. If I actually want to create the environment where this can happen, how do I do that? And, and I say that in the backdrop of, I remember when we spoke, one of the times we spoke, like as it relates to anyone's success, but in particular women's success, maybe um, it, it shouldn't be the luck of the draw of who I get as my manager, whether I'm going to be successful or yeah. not. So yeah. if I'm a leader of the organization, it, it, I, I don't want, to just be lucky that I happen to line up a high capacity, high potential person with a manager who happens to be able to deal with that. Um, how do I systematically look at removing bias and creating opportunities for women? Yeah, yeah. So I think there's two pieces to it. So the first is about offering stretch opportunities in a way that is compassionate. Um, I almost think of it as, um, uh, so, uh, in the book grit, so for all the parents out there, um, which is my favorite book on, on resilience, she has this chapter on the best parenting style for developing grit and resilience in your kids. And the, you know, she creates a T square. Is that Angela and Duckworth? Is that Angela Duckworth. Yeah. 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 I, I, it's like an amazing book. Um, so, um, one is how warm you are. What one axis is how warm you are. And the other is how strict you are. Right. And so, Turns out the best parenting style is author author authoritative, not authoritarian, where you are both warm and supportive and also strict. And in the workplace, strict doesn't really translate, but what it really means is- Well, clear, you know, probably. Yeah, well, it's about 
pushing, pushing, um, but it's also about not just pushing, but giving support. And so there's, um, oh, I wish I could remember, there's actually uh, a, oh, I can't, there's a, was a researcher who actually looked at tech and the kinds of um, management, and I can probably find her, her name. I know it starts with like Karen, something I met her a couple of years ago, but she also talked about how in tech, when women need the push and the support, they need both. They need to kind of be given a stretch opportunity, but it can't just be like, yeah, go get it. Woo! You know, it, it, so even in politics, um, I have a friend who was a part of, I think she was a field agent from, for the Obama campaign like years ago. And she said, she told me that women, qualified women need to be asked somewhere between nine and 16 times to run for office, um, right? So it's like the first time you offer the stretch, if a woman doesn't take it, that doesn't mean she doesn't want it, right? So keep offering the stretch, keep giving the support. I think you can do it. I think you can do it. If, you know, if it fails or like I'll, I'll give another, uh, another example, one woman who I worked with, she took on the stretch opportunity. It was to fill out a proposal. Everybody, you know, she worked really hard on the proposal. There was no feedback. She just, and then she got blamed when it wasn't successful and it was her first proposal. So I'm not saying you have to baby people because people really learn from having to do something that they don't know how to do, but being able to acknowledge, yeah, you're not going to know how to do this and that's okay because I'm going to be, I'm going to be like, we're going to be there behind you and this is not going to be your first client interview and if and you know you're going to do everything you can to be successful and then you're going to do you know 20 more over the next three years and at some point you're going to be ace right and I think kind of like lower continuing to show up and ask but giving that support and not letting a no be a final no um, and also sometimes opening a conversation around if someone says no continually, it might be that they have limiting beliefs around being able to do the thing given given their situation. So, you know, not all women are parents and not, you know, some men are parents too, but I had a client who really wanted to grow into, um, I think it was like a managing director role in her office. And she was like, I have young kids. I can't do this role because I can't travel. But really there was a question to ask around if you had to do this role without traveling, how would you reinterpret the role, right? And so even saying, you know, I'd love to see you in this role if that's something you're interested in, but do you feel like there's, you know, obstacles or thing, is there something that's holding you back? Because maybe we can brainstorm around how to deal with that or get rid of that or make it work differently for you, right? You know, women carry these limiting beliefs around with them of, oh, I can't do this because of this, right? Um, so I think that's that's a piece of it. It's just like keep showing up for the stretch and then also the push and the support. Um, and then I think the other piece of it is I think everybody needs to have a base of support beyond just their direct manager because sometimes you really want someone to grow in the way that, you know, to follow in your footsteps. But everybody's different. People have different things they want to do. So encouraging your, your um, direct reports to form relationships with other leadership to get their needs met by multiple sources, right? You know, so, hey, I think, I think it might be great for you to um, go have virtual coffee dates with people at other practices and hear about their career paths, right? It sounds crazy because it's like, oh, they're just going to get headhunted. But 
I think the people who are most resilient in their career don't look for all their answers in their practice. And, you know, business owners know if you're just talking to your fellow leaders, like you're in an echo chamber and you're not going to, you know, like you're going to get stuck because you're going to be recycling re and rehashing the same ideas over and over. I think the same thing is true as you grow from mid-career into higher levels of leadership and, you know, and yeah, management. So. So from a leader and a supervisor perspective, certainly having relationships with your people, seeing, you know, someone's potential, understanding someone's goals and their, and their career ambitions, being able to have those conversations, you can maybe ferret out, like, is, it, is that a no because of something else? Is that a no because of, of the way we've done these projects before? And I guess in relationship, it's having those, those discussions, you know, when, when you're, you have that level of trust. And the other thing you mentioned is sort of the power of network and mentors outside of, I mean, the supervisor relationship that I, you know, if that is supportive <laughs> environment, but then it's like, but, but reach out to other people in the organization, reach out to others. I, I want you to be the best you can be and get other information and bring them back to this relationship. That's, that's a way we could, can, can organizationally, but that, you know, be able to create that environment, but that's obviously an investment leadership has to make in leaders and managers and their supervisory skills. Um, and let's say that investment happens. There's just, there are normal tendencies um, as humans. I mean, can you just share a little bit about bias and how you see that showing up? Like yeah. even if there's bias training, like I understand that this can happen. I understand I might need to approach things um, with, with a more holistic view. What are some of the biases that get, can you, can you speak about bias in the industry? What bias training is and yeah. the benefits of it? And then maybe yeah. some of the, the sort of the, the, the um, consequences that come from that, that really yeah. aren't ideal. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So, um, okay. So, I think the very first thing we have to start with is that we are all biased, right? This isn't a men versus women, women thing. This isn't a whites versus blacks thing. We are all biased 100%. I mean, I, you know, I am a gender trainer. I've been thinking about feminism since I was 14, right? Like, like I swim in this stuff and, you know, I was at a friend's house, male, female couple uh, for a meal a couple of years ago. And I was complimenting, you know, Simona, female, uh, Honey was the male member of the couple. And I was like, Ooh, Simona thinks that like the soup is delicious. And it was like, I saw those words coming out of my mouth. And I was like, I almost like wanted to take them back. Like I, you know, because I, I'm a gender trainer, I could recognize it the moment it happened. But I was like, no bias. <laughs> and like, I think about this stuff all the time. And so the number one thing that I think all of us can do to just start this process is to recognize that we are all biased all of us. And, you know, if you're doubtful about it, you can take Harvard's implicit, uh, implicit, the implicit bias assessment, which um, it's a very cool test where they, it doesn't, it measures bias, but it also measures your reaction time. So it can tell if you have to work extra hard to associate a certain quality with a certain, you know, person of a certain background. And it just, it's very sobering to realize that we're, we all carry around these unconscious shortcuts uh, around what people are like, right? Um, based on gender, based on race, based on, you know, uh, how they're dressed, et cetera, et cetera. And is that, is that because our brain has to process so many millions of pieces of information that it's just a shortcut? And so we have yeah. to sort of teach 
that shortcut to be a little longer and more thoughtful to be able to sort of jump in and assess the actual um, situation, not what our brain shortcutting us because of training, because of exposure, because of whatever the case is. We, we just have to elongate our brains hack. Yes, in a way. Um, but like that, I love that you're thinking that way because you're, you know, I, this is why I love working with AEC because we're all systems thinkers and we're like, okay, if this is the problem, let's take it apart. And okay, what's the key factor? So, so my Bible for this is a great book. I know I'm, I've been referencing like 17 books. So this is, it's just an amazing book. It's called What Works? Gender Equity by Design. And it's by Iris Bonet, who is a, um, she's, she runs a center at Harvard. Uh, she runs a center on gender and work. So she, what she actually says is that we kind of have two neurological or at least cognitive processes. So one is what she calls system one, which is gut check, quick, like, you know, someone gives you, someone gives you a CV and you look over it really quickly because you only have two minutes before your meeting and you're like, yeah, great, hire that or like bring them in for an interview or don't. Then there's system two, which is our conscious brain where we're thinking about things in a really analytical way. It's the kind of thing we do when we're designing a system or, right, like um, what, part of what I love about AEC is that we're very into analytical thinking, which is, and systems thinking, which can be very, um, very system too, right? We're kind of thinking component by component, but then there's also like the intuition or being able to see the whole system as a whole, or just like, like gut insight that you get, especially when you've been doing this work for a long time. And so that, and, and I think the two of them are very powerful, but that analytical thinking is the one that is least prone to bias. And so what Iris Bonet says is that your, if you can find ways to make system two happen instead of system one, you can cut down on the effect of bias. So um, classic examples are take off all the, the names on, on CVs when you read them. Um, you know, there's studies that have shown that white males or white sounding names and male sounding names get more callbacks when it's the same exact cv uh, especially for for uh, roles that are associated with men than female sounding ones and um and uh ones that are of color right um so another thing that you can do that iris bonnet recommends is um uh take when you're thinking about a promotion decision take each each category of what are the qualifications and take your candidates and compare them one by one. So project experience. Well, she's done this and he's done that. Great. Um, presence outside of the office. She's done this and he's done that. And just, you know, item by item, because it doesn't totally get rid of system one. And we can talk about that in a second, but at least it can kind of force you to use system two. So, um, you know, the last thing I'll share is that in the 1970s, the Boston Symphony Orchestra had way more men who were who were um, making it through their rehearsals than than women, and you know so they started having musicians uh, do their auditions behind a screen so you couldn't see their gender and the percentage of women who made it to the the next round shot up by a huge percentage and it's like you know when I, first of all why should it be if they're wearing a skirt their violin sounds better right like okay this is bias right you know like every, you know everything we it, everything's filtered through bias but number two when i tell that story to people in design engineering they're like you could just see them being like oh let's like pull out the like 
like this, this sketching tools and like, what is our, what is our orchestra screen? And like, you know, kind of like thinking creatively about, okay, how do we do this differently? Right. And like, that's, that's, that there's a lot of solutions out there. So you don't have to invent them, but also like that creative problem solving thing that we do, like there's so much that can be done with that. If we start from the starting point that we are all biased. Okay. Let's redesign our organizations because in order to, in order to solve for that. Right. And maybe after some bias training, we can figure out how to get more into system two, like yeah. in actual day-to-day -day activity. What, before we move, like what, what's system one? Explain system one. Oh yeah. Sorry. System one is like instinctual choice. Okay. Like, you know, yeah, we've got this cool big project. Oh, we need someone to be like this big deal, high profile. Who's going to be the, who's going to be the project manager or the project architect? Uh, they're great, right? Like that's system one. It's like a non, it's non-analytical considered. It's instinctual. Okay. So, and then, so system two slows us down to get better in a way, right? I mean, yeah. we, or we can put in processes and systems to get better. If we say we've invested in some bias training, that there's aware, awareness, there's maybe some act, you know, new actions and processes and procedures that are happening but we're still in meetings. There's still the, the rush of deadlines. There's still the, the pressures. There's, you know, I, I'm, I'm going on adrenaline and I've got to make fast decisions. And, and so our humanness shows up when we're in meetings. I mean, what, can you break down what, what's an ally? What's an advocate? Yeah. How do yeah. we leverage bias training and how do they come into play to help create and support the culture of yeah. system two, I guess. Yes. Okay. So this is why I love power habits, right? Those, those habits that force you to do something differently because in my leadership training, I have leaders walk out with very similar things with power habits. I think it's really difficult to say, I'm going to slow down and look at the room and think about this. And instead, I think it's easier to commit your future self to a habit. And so there's a lot of things that, so an ally is someone who, so who does something to support someone else, especially someone who is of um, a dis, uh, disadvantaged background. And in the work context, we can say that in a lot of contexts, women are disadvantaged, right? We can also, this is a side point, but we can talk about how men are disadvantaged in being able to um, have flexible, have flexibility in their work when it comes to taking care of children, right? Whatever, if that's another topic which we can bookmark if we want to talk about it. But so here are a couple of my favorite allyship habits. Um, so one is amplification. So this is actually something that the women in the Obama cabinet did. Uh, like they, they, so we know that women are, um, men, okay, there's actually this, men are more likely to interrupt women than men. Um, there was a study that I think came out of GW that showed that, um, men, I think, interrupt women 33% more in the study than they did other men. And so one of your power habits might be um, every meeting, if I see a man interrupt a woman, woman I'm going to say, uh, or you could do this for everyone, but I think it can be really helpful to do it for women because it helps you kind of see something that, you, that was previously invisible to you. You might say, um, Hey, Mike, I want to let Sandra finish her thought, right? And you just like, that's a power habit, right? Amplification is something that, that they did in the Obama cabinet where uh, women's um, contributions can sometimes be less likely to be built upon, you know, like, oh, that's a great idea. What women, what I hear from women anecdotally is I'll share an idea and three beats later, a guy will say the same thing. And that's when everybody hears it. And 
it's not clear whether it's because women are sometimes more tentative in sharing their idea or because we're more likely to see men as leaders. It's probably some combination of both. But amplification is about saying, I like, I really like what Maya is saying. You don't have to say that you like what Maya is saying if you don't agree, but it's about, you know, once per meeting, I will amplify the idea of a woman if I think it's a good one, right? And just even having that awareness, and sometimes what I'll have leaders do is just like, if you take physical notes or have a notebook open, like have like a little on your, your right margin, just, you know, write down like amplification and just over the course of your day, put a like a little Tom and Jerry, like mark on the wall, like, you know, check in the box every time you do it so that it becomes a practice. Um, I think it's better to do things through your work rather than on top of your work because things that we decide to do on top of our work ne often never happen, right? So. <laughs> and then how, how does it, what is being an, ad, how is an advocate being different? Yeah, so, so the classic language people use is, are you a mentor or a sponsor? So a mentor is someone who gives advice and a sponsor is someone who speaks for you in the rooms that you're not in. And so an advocate is someone who doesn't just tell you what, what you should do, but who can open doors for you. So um, let's say that I want to grow into having more um, more client visibility and I want to get into client interviews, but maybe I'm on a project and it's, maybe I'll be on that project for the next four years, um, but maybe I have a you know, little bit of extra time in my, in my calendar. So I might say, I really want to start going to client interviews. And then you're in the room when staffing decisions are being made. And you might say, oh, even though she's got this big project, you know, she's got like time for a small project and she really wants to go to a client interview. How about her? Right. And so you are opening doors for me that I'm not in the room to open those doors myself. Um, I've got a friend, uh, her name's Tamara Roy, and she's a principal at Stantec in Boston. And, um, you know, she is in rooms that other people aren't in so she can advocate for career opportunities or for, you know, if people are going to, you know, potential, like thinking about succession, right? Who is going to be, who do we think are good potential leaders? And, you know, when you're in the rooms that others aren't in, you by nature have more power than they do. Right. And that, and that comes down to relationships. It, it's managers, supervisors knowing what, those in their care are interested in from a career development and an opportunity perspective. And it's, but it's even more than that. It's the principle of those supervisors understanding what those roles are and then being, you know, number one understanding so that they can be in a position to be an advocate for that in yeah. real time. Yeah. So one other, just to give your, your, you know, whoever's listening, like a, I always really like to be able to walk out with like what practical thing can I do? So I think it's really good to just almost maybe even like set your timer for five minutes and write down the people who you consider mentors and then quickly look, do they share the same gender background as you? And do they share the same racial background as you? Do they share the same, you know, like how are they like you? And, you know, everybody does this, right? There's a, um, you know, we, we, we feel connected to people when we share things in common with them. And often those things can be cultural, ethnic, or gender backgrounds. And if, uh, and just be honest, right? Um, don't try to make the data fit what you want to know about yourself. Just like try to be as honest as possible. Because um, sometimes what people will do will be like, well, I have this one woman who's the superstar and then everyone else on your list is male. And the one woman, you know, like, okay, one superstar maybe doesn't, doesn't like maybe that's not the right balance is that for if seven other people are male but just that quick audit to say 
okay, am I doing what most people do and investing my extra time in people who are like me? And what could I do over the next three months to add one or two more people who are not like me to that list? So can I reach out to them and say, um, and you know, everybody's busy, but just say, hey, um, you can even fake it that you're reaching out to people who you haven't gotten a chance to connect with in the organization yet. Um, and if you'd like to do, uh, you know, either a virtual coffee date or, um, you know, love to hear what you're working on. And it can be super intimidating on the other side, but just like, and also, you know, I know that sometimes when you're working on a project, heads down, you don't get a chance to hear what other leaders in the organization are doing. So, um, happy to connect right and it's always better when there's something about you that you connect with like you know you seem like you're really interested in technical details i i'm i i am very you know technical i like detailing is my first love right <laughs> you don't have to say it like that but but even if not um there is a power dynamic but that doesn't necessarily mean that three to six months from now you might be able to have a stronger relationship with that person or even just throwing something their way and saying, hey, saw that you seem to get really into those technical details. We have an opportunity for someone to be on a panel. If you're interested in it, wanted to throw it your way and happy to chat, like set up a brief you know, chat to talk about what it's about and see if it's something that you're interested in, even if it's 15 minutes, right? It doesn't have to take as long as we think to start in mini doses growing our network of relationships within our practice. And when we do it with people who aren't like us, we're more likely to hear the things that no one's telling us. Right, and, and we might find things that we actually do like about them. So we have affinity bias. It's just not on the four things that we normally have affinity bias in. It's on, right. uh, now I've learned that you like details or I learned that you like this other thing. And so I have an affinity towards that, but I wouldn't have, if I didn't knock down my initial levels of affinity bias. I wouldn't have created this new one with you where I want yeah. to have this relationship and I want to mentor. So I see that. Well, you, you mentioned Stantec and I know that you've been doing work with them um, and you know they just were named on Forbes list of um, best employers for women. So could you just as an example of an organization and their investment in um, advancement of women or women's career. Can you just, what, what work do you do with them and, yeah. and how, do, how do they invest in the development of, of their women? Yeah. So I have a program with them. They were my first client on this program and I just, I love it. So it's called the career empowerment program and it's a kickoff workshop where we help women set creative and ambitious goals for their career. And it's not, you know, title change. It's more about, I want to develop expertise in this area. I want to um, learn how to be a more strategic manager so I can free up my time to work on the higher level stuff on the project, right? I want to, um, they set goals for anywhere from six, you know, six months from now to five years from now. And then we take one of their goals and we almost use it as a case study, like almost the way you would in a, in like a studio class to help them practice advocating for themselves, help them advocate, help them practice setting boundaries around their time. Um, and we do that through three months of uh, small group coaching where I work with three women at a time. And what's great because Stantec is a national company is that you know, sometimes if you are one of the only women on the project or in the room or on the team, it can feel isolating, but no, isolating, but knowing that there's other people across this national organization that you can kind of connect with, advocate with and for, um, it, it can just, you know, it's like if you're a national company, like that's a huge asset that you have. And so 
we do three months of small group coaching. And part of what I love to do is help people find their own expertise rather than just you know, telling them what they, what to do. And so kind of helping I coach, but it's also helping them coach each other in, hey, this thing isn't moving forward or, okay, well, is that really what the customer wants? You know, are we really, do we really understand what the customer's pain point is and how do we frame this in terms of, you know, business and strategic issues for them rather than just what we want to do? Or um, I am really struggling to, um you know, to make headway on this, like, you know, my junior staff don't like turn in sloppy work. Okay, well, they perceive your view differently, maybe than they would have a male leader. So let's talk about some management tactics that you could try. Let's try one per month for the three months, and then you'll know what works at the end, right? And so it's using, again, that like action um, and experiment based approach. So so, and that, that's sort of a firm's investment in what you had talked about at the beginning. It's, it's expanding networks and mentorships, but not necessarily outside the organization, but outside of maybe someone's team, connecting internally, peer-to-peer -peer learning with some outside expertise. So you're sort of expanding in-house the, the yeah. expertise and the knowledge and almost like creating like a safe strategic zone. Yeah, a safe strategic zone to get clear on how you want to grow, right? Some people want to be, some women in it really want to, make the call technically and get really confident on technical knowledge. Some women want to move into business development. That's a huge thing, um, you know, and start to, um, you know, help bring work into the firm or build a reputation. Everybody wants to grow in different ways, but then how do you grow? How do you advocate for yourself? And then how do you grow in ways that add value to the bottom line, right? How do you find those alignment areas? And then how do you do it as part? We, I use the term wing woman, although, you know, we can have wing people, um, but how can you grow in a way that pushes others forward with you, right? Because then it's, it's way more fun when you're, even if it's your own journey, it's collaborative. All right. And I like the way you've designed this. I mean, you had mentioned something like we work, you know, through the work, you know, we, we, we do this development through the work, not just on top of the work, and that, which is the best way from a professional development in an organizational development perspective. It's to be able to sort of leverage and, and redesign systems as you go through projects and, and real life experience. I mean, that, that's the way it makes it tangible. I, I, there's so much we could cover on this, but before we start to wrap up, I did want to ask you, about COVID-19, how, how do you think that is affecting women today? You know, high capacity, high achieving, high potential women. It, is it having a, a disproportionate effect? I mean, how, how do you think the last six months have gone and, and how do you see COVID-19 affecting women moving forward? Which number one, you know, they're probably aware of, but maybe leaders and supervisors and organizations should be maybe more in tune with so that they're able to, you know, have greater success moving forward. Yeah, yeah, no. Um, so, well, just like I think some of the leaders, you, it, it, it's a time of people rethinking, right? Rethinking what a sustainable business truly means. Like I know you and I have talked about, you know, what kind of cutting back to the core of what's really, you know, where, how do you use this moment to make the business more sustainable? So I think a lot of people are dealing with that as well in their careers. Some people are having aha moments of, okay, is this really what I'm doing and why? And then some people are, are um, 
you know, if you have less time because maybe you're also running a homeschool out of your out of your house or apartment, you know, people are kind of reconsidering their choices. I would say that I think that there's almost two streams that I'm watching. One is that the pressures that are on women are intensified, especially mostly if they have children, right? So what we're there's a great New York Times article called um, when mom's Zoom meeting has to wait, it's by Jennifer Medina, and it was about how women oftentimes pick up the bulk of childcare in heterosexual relationships. And I think we're seeing that. I'm seeing that with a lot of my clients where they're, they're the ones kind of taking the hit. Um, and so I think some good things and bad things can come out of that, right? You know, maybe we have more awareness of all the invisible and emotional labor that it takes to run a household. And we're, you know, maybe that stuff is more visible than it's ever been before because everyone's staring it in the face. Um, and I think it could cause people, could cause women to leave the professions just the way that the 2008 recession did, or it could cause us to redesign the structure of our organizations to be, to be more friendly for people who want to grow their careers and grow their families at the same time. Um, I, I'm going to vote for the, the, the second, the second trend is the second outcome instead of the first. And I also think that, you know, one of the pieces is, can you create a flexible system where people can sometimes, um, you know, knowledge work, you don't always have to be in the office. So I think we've now proven that people can work remotely. They may not always want to work remotely, but one of my favorite architecture firms is a firm called SOM based in Boston. And when Boston had like 10 feet of snow in one season, they've got an in-person location, but you can work from where, where you want, when you want, as long as you're achieving your project goals. And, um, you know, when you need to collaborate with people in person, you come. And if you need to get a babysitter to fly to that interview in Cleveland, you do. And it's a, it's a way of having trust in your knowledge workers to, do good jobs, right? And to kind of, you know, organize their lives and work in order to achieve work and life outcomes. And I just, like they've been doing it for years and there's other firms that are doing it as well. And so my hope is that we are seeing knowledge work differently and that could lead to better outcomes for um, working parents or for people who are caring for aging parents or have other other things that, in which they need time and location flexibility, but still wanna have a really ace career. Right, right. Well, we, we've covered a lot of ground and I still, I feel like I have 10 more questions I want to ask you, but in, <laughs> to be respectful of your time, it, as we wrap this, and this might be part one of multiple episodes, but how, how do, before we, before we do wrap up, is there anything that we haven't covered that you'd like to share that would encourage leaders and high capacity women in AEC? I would say that, um, yeah, I would say that I think sometimes picking up a habit or practice, an anti-biased habit or practice can be a way in. Um, we didn't talk about this, but, um, you know, Peter and I just like, I don't know, freaked out, not freaked out, but you know, there's this phenomenon called moral licensing where when we do something, then we feel like we're off the hook. So Iris Bonet in her book, What Works Gender Equity by Design, uh, talks about a study that showed that um, sometimes bias training can lead to moral licensing where we give in to our system one bias behavior because we've checked the box on bias training. So if you can pick up one practice that is proactively anti-sexist, anti-biased, start there because it's a way in. 
Accept that you're probably biased like the rest of the, us, myself included. And if you can pick up one commitment, it's almost like it's the first step on a path that will then get you being more curious, get you, you know, connecting with people, like learning things that are uncomfortable, but that you might not experience because maybe you don't come from that background. Um, and it, I think it's actually the result of that pathway is more meaningful work with people who you care about, who you probably wouldn't have connected with on that same level in the first place. And obviously, um, you know, making sure that incredible talent doesn't go to waste, right? Right. So really, so that what I took away from what you just said is we're, we're for a lot of good reasons, we're going to do probably more bias education, um, look, you know, look at diversity, equity, inclusion in different ways in order not to have check the box syndrome or allow more licensing. We're going to have to take some action. We're going to have to do something to support what we've learned in order to really sort of adapt and, and change the culture for, for everybody's benefit. Yeah, and I, you know, I think maybe if you have shown us, you can link them, but um, I do have an article on like nine thing des things design leaders can do. And so I would just, I, like, I'm really into just like make choices for your future self. So like pick one, start it, let's go. You know, we don't take action to get ourselves off the hook of being, of being, of being someone who benefits from privilege, right? We take actions as a way to start making a change, but to also give ourselves a starting point to get involved with the conversation. And yeah, like this is lifelong learning, um, but like, you know, you got to start with something, right? So. Right. All right. Well, I appreciate your time today. I think this has been great. How can listeners get in touch to learn more about you and Build Yourself Workshop? Yeah. So go to buildyourselfworkshop.com. That is my website. We've got a contact form. Um, if you are listening and you're interested in a gender bias workshop or um, one of my corporate coaching programs for women, just, you know, got a contact form, get in touch. Um, I'm also on Instagram at, at, at Maya Sharfi and on LinkedIn. Um, and my name is spelled insanely non-phonetically, but uh, Peter will have the correct spelling. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's where I'm at. And I'd love to hear from anyone. All right. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your insights. Cool. Thanks so much, Peter. Hope we do this again. All right. Take care. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so. And please also share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to continue to get us established. And I truly appreciate that. And it also helps to get the word out to others so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others both inside and beyond our organizations. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.